God, you are so amazing, Lord. It's so good to sing to you, to think through even the words that we're singing, Father. Lord, I pray that this morning we would just be able to meditate on that, that we would be able to understand that, to think about that, to think about who you are and what you've done. God, and what that means for us. Lord, it changes everything. It changes everything. Lord, I pray that your word would just speak to us. It would, uh, your spirit would bring that to light, that it would move in our hearts, it would change us. God, will you do that this morning in us, Lord? Thank you so much for the privilege to be your sons and daughters. Thank you for the privilege to participate and to be a part of what you are doing, Father. Lord, be honored today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we've been going through the book of Colossians, going verse by verse through that book and trying to understand what Paul was writing in this instruction to this church in Colossae. And as you know, it's been week and week and week about the gospel. It's been about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And we learned early on that we've been transferred, we've been rescued, that Jesus Christ came and He rescued us and He transferred us from this domain of darkness into this kingdom of His beloved Son. And now that we're in this kingdom of His beloved Son, of Jesus, then we're under Jesus' authority. We're no longer under the world's authority or our own authority, but we're under His authority. And so we're a part of His kingdom. We were buried with Him. We were now raised with Him. We died with Him and now we live with Him. So we're a part of this kingdom, but then we also get to participate in this kingdom. We got to chapter 2 and he says, Now the same way you've received the gospel, I want you to walk in the gospel. So not just that you've received it, not just now that you're in the kingdom, but now this is how I want you to walk, how I want you to participate as a member of the kingdom. And Paul was clear, one of the concerns that he has that he wrote to the church is that they would turn from Jesus, that they thought they might need something more than Jesus, that they would add to him or subtract from him or go to something else. And he says, I want you to hold to Jesus Christ. Don't turn away from him. And then as we talked last week, he said, don't turn to other things. Specifically last week, he says, don't turn to religious ways or religious rules. Don't turn to something else and put your authority, or put that authority over you. Don't submit to those things. Submit to Christ. He is the head. He is the authority. He's who we need to cling to. And so as we go into chapter 3 now, the next several weeks will be in chapter 3 and it gets very practical. Okay, Paul's been talking about this. He's been explaining this idea of the gospel. And it starts to go to a very practical section. And he's going to tell us what we should put on and what we should put off and what that's actually going to look like as we live out the gospel. And so I want us to read that. We're going to read verse 1 through 17. Today we're just in verse 1 through 4, but I want us to read verse 1 through 17 to get this overview of what's about to come because it's all connected. So I will read... Chapter 3, verse 1 through 17. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will be with Him in glory. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
And these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Verse 12, put on then as as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called, in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That's a lot of instruction. A lot of detail about what we're supposed to put off, what we're supposed to put to death, what we're supposed to put on, all these details, all these situations. And it can be overwhelming in a sense, but the only way, as we look at this, the only way that we can live with a right earthly perspective is if we have an eternal focus. So the only way that we can get to verse 5 through 17 and live all of that out in a right earthly perspective while we're here is to have an eternal focus. Okay, and so today we've got to go back to and we've got to look at verse 1 through 4. We've got to look at this eternal focus that Paul is telling us we have to have. We have to focus on the gospel. We can't overlook 1 through 4. And so that's where we're going to camp today. When I went back to see in my notes and where I kind of separated out how I wanted to teach, I said, 1 through 4? Just, just four verses? Um, maybe I should have done more. And I went back, I'm like, oh, maybe I should break this in too, because this is a lot. We need to get this. We need to understand this. This is important before we go forward. It's extremely compact, but it's comprehensive. And it is an understanding of the gospel. And the degree to which we believe verse 1 through 4, and through which we work through 1 through 4, directly correlates, directly reflects how we'll live out 5 through 17. If we don't get 1 through 4, 5 through 17, we won't get there. We've got to get 1 through 4. We've got to understand this part before we move forward. But the issue, or the problem, or the challenge, I think, with being a part of this kingdom of Jesus Christ is that it's a kingdom that's in process. It's a kingdom that's begun, but it's not yet. And because it's begun, it's not yet, it's not full, it's not complete, it's not over and done then I think sometimes we can be misdirected or, or lose our focus and what it actually looks like to live in this kingdom that in many ways is in between. So let me explain what I mean by that in this kingdom. This kingdom is the presence of God's supernatural ruling power. We live in that kingdom, God's supernatural ruling power that's entered into history, that's entered into our human history, but yet it's not come in its fullness. Jesus Christ came. When Jesus Christ came, the kingdom began. He says, I'm initiating the kingdom. I'm initiating my rule. And this rule has now begun, but it hasn't come to completion. It hasn't come to its fullness. And even as we read in Colossians, he says the gospel, it's moving forward, it's growing, it's increasing. He says not just here, but throughout the cosmos, throughout not just the world, but the universe, throughout all of creation. The gospel is moving forward, it's growing. 
And so we're a part of that. The kingdom has started, the kingdom is growing, but the kingdom is not complete. We can't see it yet in its fullness. But the church, we're chosen people. Trent talked about it. We've been brought into this. We, we were under the rule of Jesus Christ. And we get to live in this rule. And we've talked about it. We have been raised. We have died with Christ. But yet we haven't yet been with Him in glory. Right? We've experienced this. We know Him. We've experienced that in our lives. But it's not yet complete. Paul says in other places, or actually Peter says, we're strangers and we're aliens. Like we're, we're in this place. It's not our home. It's coming, but it's, we're not there yet. And so how do we live that way? How do we live in between? How do we live in this place where the kingdom has started, but the kingdom is not complete? And I believe that's what Paul is talking about here, and that's what he wants us to understand. This is how I want you to live in the gospel, live according to the gospel, in this kingdom that is in between, this kingdom that started, but the kingdom that is not complete. And I think that we have lost our focus. We look to the world, because the world likes to live in between. The, the wisdom I have in the, from the world tells me to live in between. It tells me to live in between these two contrasting ideas. You don't want to be extreme on this side. You don't want to be extreme on this side. You want to live somewhere in between. You know, be moderate. Don't be a fanatic on one end or the other of any situation. Just kind of walk the middle. Move as you need to. Be flexible. Live in between. Don't, don't really set yourself. Don't say that there's one truth. Or there's one way. Or there's one way to live your life. Or we're between things. As I look back at my life, I've been in between so much of my life. I might be in between a relationship. I might be in between jobs. My whole, the last 10 years of my life before we came here, I felt like I was in between. I was going to school. I had a full a family. I had a full-time job, but I couldn't do the ministry that I wanted to. I was stuck in between having to go to school, preparing for this ministry, but not yet there. But what does that look like as I continue on? We can be in between cultures. Some of us and many of us in our neighborhood are between cultures. Right? In home, it's Latino. In the home, we speak Spanish. In the home, this is our culture. And then I step out of the home and I'm supposed to interact in this world that's about the majority of this, um, this culture in the, in the United States. And I'm stuck between the two. And I never know quite who I am. Melanie can talk about this. Growing up in Mexico City and then coming back, she was part of an Anglo or American family living in Mexico City and going back and forth. She never knew where she belonged. And many of us in this neighborhood can be that. We can be in between. And that's not just in the neighborhood. That's the church too. As you look at the Latino church, 60% of Latinos in the church are not foreign born. They were born here. At home, I'm Latino. When I step out of the home, I think I'm part of the majority culture. I'm not really sure. And when I go to church, I don't know if I want to go to the church where it's, a, it's, it's an immigrant church. It's all in Spanish and the culture is completely Latino. I don't really feel at home there. But then I don't want to go to church where, well, there's a bunch of white people just singing and this is what it looks like and it's a majority culture. And I don't fit in there and I don't know where I belong. I'm in between. So that's much of our lives. That's much of our culture is in between. It's much of the culture in the church. We're in between. But I don't think that God wants us to live that way in between. He doesn't want us to live in this balance. He wants us to commit. He wants us to uh, be intentional. He wants us to seek a direction in His kingdom. But as we're in this kingdom, as we live in between, what is the focus? What is the thing that we're to be about? And that's what Paul is speaking to. 
He's like, this is what I want the church to focus on. This is what I want you to be about. And just like the culture, we're kind of unfocused. The church, we know we're supposed to be focused. We're supposed to be about this one thing. But a lot of times, we don't focus on the main thing. We focus on these secondary things. And the church can be focused on the future. All they think about is the future. All we think about is this heaven to come. And everything we do is about evangelism now so that you can get to heaven later. And we neglect relationships. We neglect loving for one another. And we neglect discipleship. We do neglect growing in Christ. And we're just, we're just thinking about, I just got to get you to heaven. I just got to get you to heaven. That's all that matters is heaven. And we forget the present. We forget loving each other and loving God right now. It's like the church becomes this fortress and we're in the culture, but we're, we're protected from it. We don't want to enter into it. And we're just thinking about the future to come and we're just going to hold out until we get there. We can also be over-focused on the present and the church. Your best life right now. Okay? You can have your best life right now. You can have health. You can have wealth. You can have prosperity right now. And that's a lie. That's not true. Or we can experience God fully now. That His kingdom would come right now on earth and that heaven is open and we can experience the fullness, the completeness, everything of His kingdom right here, right now. We don't have to wait until Christ returns and we're with Him. And again, that's not true. Both of those are partially true. Both of those are partly correct. But they're not fully correct. And if we focus on those things, we're going to miss the focus of the gospel. The last thing is we can focus on the natural. We can focus on our culture, our place, right here, right now. And the church can be about trying to love others, trying to uh, respond to these social concerns. But then we can lose our distinction. We're no different than a glorified social service agency. Right? There has to be a distinction. There has to be something different. Because we wouldn't even challenge the culture that way. So if we overfocus on something, like I said last week, then we underfocus on what's required. And if we're like the world and we underfocus on everything, then we're not focused on anything. And so before we get to 5 through 17 and we start talking about our hearts and our minds, our behavior, how we're supposed to live this out, we've got to again go back to what is the focus? What is essential? What's going to change our behavior? What's going to drive our behavior? What's going to be essential for us to live in this kingdom right now, living according to the gospel? We have to make a decision. A decision has to be made. We began, as Paul says, we began in the gospel. He wants us to continue in the same way. When we came to the understanding of the gospel and the truth, we had to decide, am I going to let go of myself and am I going to follow Christ? Am I going to quit going my direction? Am I going to follow Him? And as we continue, as we walk in the gospel, we have to make that decision repeatedly. We don't get re-saved, but we have to decide, no, am I going to continue to follow Him? Okay, here's another situation. Am I going to continue to follow Him? And we have to continue to make that decision over and over again to live my life in response to the gospel. I responded to the gospel and I came into this kingdom. And now as I walk through it, I continue to respond and respond and respond to the gospel. But we don't like decisions at all. In our culture, decisions are not a great thing. No one wants to make a decision. This is a book I was reading uh, this last week. It's called Just Do Something. It's about God's will and seeking His will. And there's one part I wanted to share with you because I know it's our hesitancy to decide. 
But this is what our life in Christ looks like on a regular basis, is to make a decision. He says, decide comes from the Latin word desidere, meaning to cut off, which explains why decisions are so hard these days. We can't stand the thought of cutting off any of our options. If we choose A, we feel the sting of not having B and C and D. And as a result, every choice feels worse than no choice at all. I don't want to lose options. I want to live in the middle. I want to live in between. I want to keep my options open. But the gospel says decide. Decide to be a part and decide to continue. And so I want to ask you this morning, as we jump into this, as we understand this, have you decided? Have you come to the place where you've decided... I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. That I have understood His gospel. I have understood that He came and that He sought me. That I had moved outside of His authority. That I was under my own authority. And that He came and that He sought me. And that He lived a perfect life. And that He paid my debt that I can never repay for stepping outside of God's authority. And now because I have died with Him and I can live with Him. And when God looks at me, He looks at Jesus Christ. And what the debt that He paid is as if it... I paid it. Have you made that decision? If you haven't made that decision, I want you to listen to the rest of this, but it's not going to make much sense. It's not going to make much sense as I tell you, this is how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live in this way or that way. It makes no sense if you haven't made that initial decision to follow Jesus Christ. And if you have decided, that's what this passage is about, where you continue to decide. What does that look like in our lives as we decide each day, as we decide moment by moment, am I going to make this decision, am I going to respond according to my authority or according to the authority of the gospel? What's going to drive my life? What's going to drive what I do? Because we can't live in between. We have to decide and we're going to repeatedly make that decision. We respond to the gospel. Nothing else. There's nothing else that we respond to, just the gospel. So let me reread verse 1 through 4. Okay, We looked at that in a big perspective, but I want to go back now to 1 through 4. I want you to listen to that again with this different perspective being, wow, this is what we need to understand. This is what we need to consider as we think about how we're going to respond. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. So living under the authority of Jesus Christ, we must decide. We must decide to focus only on the Gospel and to connect everything with the gospel because that's our reality. So living in that authority, we have to focus everything, we have to focus only on the gospel and we have to connect everything with the gospel because the gospel is our reality. Alright, we're going to walk through those three points. The first, that we would focus on the gospel right now. That's what Paul says. Focus on it now. In verse 1, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ... Think about that. That you have been raised with Christ. Think about the fact 
of what that means. They say, who have I been raised with? I've been raised with Jesus Christ. It literally means I've been joined together. I've come with him and he has raised me up. We are raised together. And it says, where have you been raised? Look at the end of verse 1. It says, seated at the right hand of God. I've been joined with Jesus Christ. I've been raised with him. And where have we been raised? We've been raised to the right hand of God the Father. Think about that. That's the truth. Since this, since you've been raised, since you are raised with Jesus Christ, since you are raised to this place at the right hand of the Father, I have been raised. It's past tense. It's done. It's completed. And I don't think that we get that. We don't understand what it means. We've talked about this before, a kingdom. But a king, to bring you to his right hand, it means I'm going to bring you to a place of ultimate honor. At my right hand is a place of ultimate honor. And not just a place of ultimate honor, but a place of ultimate fellowship. All right? You're not down below me. You're not out in the courts. You're not at the other end of the table. I'm going to bring you next to me, and you're going to sit with me raised, and you're going to sit next to me where we're going to get to know each other, we're going to be connected, and we're going to have an unbelievable fellowship together. And so I want you guys to think through that. I want you guys to get a picture of that. So I'm going to ask Karina to come up, because I've built a throne. I guys want you first to think about and I had to go to Burger King to get these and these crowns are not what they were when I was growing up they're cheap but here I am I'm the father high on the throne okay six inches up I'm seated high on the throne and because of what Jesus Christ has done he says, now you are my son, you are my daughter. I have adopted you, and I've made this place for you. And I'm sitting here in this seat. I'm sitting here in this place of honor. And I want you to come and join me. You've been raised up with me to this place. And so he literally brings up another chair on this throne. Sit down, sweetheart. I'm giving you this place of ultimate honor. I'm going to care for you as my own. And then he sits next to us and he says, we're going to have fellowship. This is where I want you. I want you next to me. I want you raised with me. You're not out there. You're not over here. You're not at the end of the day. You're, you're right here with me. Right? You can know who I am. You can see my face. You can know all the details about me. We can talk. We can hang out. You can know me. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. You're right here with me. And this is our place. This is our place in the gospel. This is what Jesus Christ has done for us. He's raised us up. And we're sitting, seating next to Him. How incredible is that? How do we stop and do we think about that? That this is what God has done through His Son. That He's created this for us. And we need to just think about that. We need to remember that. We need to go over and over and over. This is what it looks like. Okay? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you realize that? Because if we believe that, then we would live with freedom and we would live with power that Jesus Christ has given. Our lives would be transformed if we realize that that is the reality when I get out of the bed. That's the reality when I go to bed at night. That's the reality in every situation. I'm a place of honor and I'm in a place of fellowship 
with the King of Kings. He's invited me into his kingdom and now I get to sit next to him and be a part. But to believe this, we have to go to this over and over and over again. It is not natural for us to believe this. And so that's what it says. It says, if you've been raised with Christ, it says, seek the things that are above where Christ is. And this idea of seeking these things, it literally means to think about them, to reason about them, to deliberate about them, to focus on them, that I would think about in one way nothing else but my place in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I would think about nothing else but about what He's done, about this gospel, about how He's brought me in. That I would go over that and over that and over that, that I would be consumed with it, that I would focus on the gospel. Because that's the one thing, the one thing in which our life depends. And I would tell you guys that it is foundational for our beliefs. It is foundational for us as a church. Before we love Christ, before we are obedient to Christ, or before we try and follow Christ's ways, we have to realize that that is the reality. That we are in Jesus Christ. Before we love Him, before we obey Him, before we worship Him, we have to realize we are in Jesus Christ. Everything else moves or falls on that. And so we have to get it. We're in Christ. Because the essence of sin is that we substituted ourselves for God. We substituted our authority for His authority. And the essence of salvation is that Jesus Christ came and He substituted Himself for us. Do we get that? Do we believe that? Will we remember that? And it says literally to focus on, to seek the things that are above in one way to be heavenly minded. And that phrase might have a bad taste in your mouth for people that are heavenly minded. Okay? And I don't mean it. It doesn't mean here in this passage that we're to be super spiritual. It doesn't mean that we're to be disconnected from reality. But it means that we should live in the present with this ever ongoing, eternal perspective of the gospel. I'm in the moment. I'm living in the present, but I never lose this perspective of what's to come. I never lose the perspective of the reality of the kingdom to come. I live in the moment. I'm loving in the moment. I'm loving God. I'm loving others. And I never lose sight of this eternal perspective. That's what it means to be heavenly minded. And we should live literally as if we have gone and we have seen the King. Like we left this world and we went to this other world and we saw the King lifted high and lifted up. And we sat next to Him and we had this experience with Him and then He sent us back and we have this brief vapor of a life right now until we return and go back to that place. All right? We should live that way. If we thought that, if we experienced that, then it would change everything about us. It would change everything about the present time because we had had that experience and we knew we were going back. We know that He went. We know that everything will be restored. And so we would live now in a different way. And in so many ways, that's the reality because the King came to us. All right? We didn't have to go to the King. The King came to us. And He says, I'm going and I'm preparing a place for you and you're going to be with me. I'm going to return from you and we're going to be together in glory for eternity. So I want to read a story from Acts. Of actually, it's about Paul who is writing this letter and about how he experienced... Jesus Christ, and how it changed everything about his life. And I want you to think about your encounter with Jesus Christ. 
And if you've encountered Jesus Christ, if you've seen Him, if you have been brought there to the throne to sit next to Him, raised next to Him, does it have this type of impact on you? Does it change you? Because this was Paul's experience in Acts chapter 22, verse 6 through 16. Paul was a persecutor of the church. He was going to collect Christians to kill Christians. And he says in verse 6, As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light and did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand of those who were with me and came into Damascus. Verse 12, And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, and standing by me, said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. He says, you've seen the Righteous One. You've heard from the Righteous One. And you might think, oh, well, Paul's in such a different situation than we are. No, he's not. No, he's not. We have seen, we have experienced, we have heard from the Righteous One. We have heard and seen the King, and we've experienced this in in our lives, and it should change everything about our lives, and we should go and tell everyone about it. It should change everything. And what's interesting is Paul, after this experience, he goes away, we find out in Galatians, for about three years. For three years, he goes out into the desert. And I have to think, because it says that Jesus was ministering to him, that he was just trying to understand and figure out and think through this amazing, unbelievable fact of the gospel, of what, who God was and what he had done. That he spent those three years just going through, just seeking the things that are above, just, just processing through that. And what does this mean? And how has this changed everything? And this is the God that loves me? And he just went through the gospel and through the gospel and through the gospel. And after three years of meditating on it, think of that he went and it changed everything about his life. His life was completely different than it was before. And so are you seeking the things that are above? Are you taking time to stop and to think about Jesus Christ? To think about who He is and to think about what He's done? Are you stopping? Are you getting in His Word? Are you talking to Him? Are you realizing that I am seated next to Him and that I can read, I can listen to Him, I can talk to Him, I can spend this time with Him, I can know who He is? Or do you not have time for that? Paul went away for three years just to get his head around this. And we can't spend 15, 30 minutes in the morning or in the afternoon, whatever part of your day, because I'm too busy. But if we don't stop, if we don't stop and we don't consider this, if we just go about our day and we go about our business and we never stop and think about and consider the gospel, nothing in our lives will change. We have to go back to and consider and seek the things that are above. 
Because if we focus on that regularly, if we focus on that consistently, and only on the gospel, then the gospel will go into every area of our lives. It will be connected to everything. So not only will we only focus on the gospel, but it will be connected to everything in our lives. So look at verse 2 and 3. It says, for you, or set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So it's saying a very similar command there. And it says, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. This time, the word there is a little bit different to set your mind on the things that are above. The second time that it says it, it literally means you focused on that. You're thinking about the gospel. Now I literally want you to join your life with the gospel. All right? You were seeking the things that are above, but now I want you to set your mind, set your heart, set your life on the gospel. Join with it. Don't just think about it, but actually join with it. Join yourself with the mind of Christ. We share His fellowship, but we also share His purpose. It is amazing, amazing that He has made us a part of His kingdom, that He's given us a seat to sit at. But then it's even, to me, it just blows me away that he says, now I want you to participate in it. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. You're going to be a part of the advancement of my kingdom. You're going to be a part of me making all things new, of me restoring everything that was broken, of me making every relationship right, of everything is going to go back to the way I intended, and I'm going to bring my children, I'm going to bring my people to me, and I'm going to be with you forever. And you are going to be a part of that. That's mind-blowing. It's crazy that God of the universe would give us that place and allow us to participate. So since we died with Christ, set your mind on the things that are above. Since you've died with Christ, it says, look in verse 3, for you have died. When we were filled with Him, as Josh taught about, we put off our body of flesh. We died with Him. We were buried with Him in this baptism of death. We lost our life in the process. And then He says, but I, I've joined with you and now I've raised you and I'm bringing you up. I've raised you in this place. We lost our life. We gave it up. If you followed Him, you turned from your ways, your authority to His. He says, since you've died with me, I'm bringing you with me and now you are in me. Not only are you next to me, but when God looks at you, legally, He looks at you as if you died on the cross, not me. You are in me. You are a part of me. I am over you. Or when God looks at you, He sees me. There's no condemnation. That's your place. That's what has happened. You have died. And so since you have died, your life now is hidden with me. He's like, you've died and I've taken your life that you've given up and I'm giving you eternal life. And he literally says that it's hidden with me. All right? That it's not visible right now. It's going to be made known at a time to come. But right now it is hidden with me. And that Jesus Christ is holding our life. And it is secure and it is good. It is complete. But it hasn't been fully realized. And I thought about my science project when I was in first grade of beans in a styrofoam cup. And I remember planting these beans, these seeds, in a styrofoam cup, waiting for this sprout to come up. 
and we're waiting a couple days or whatever, however many days that it takes, and this isn't going to happen. I mean, I know the bean is there. I know the bean is hidden in that soul. I know it's going to come forth. But will it really work? One day, it will push forth. One day, what was hidden, that bean underneath, one day, it will come forth. Our life, we gave up our life. We died with Christ. And now it says it's been hidden with Him. He is holding it. He is protecting it. He is saving it for us. And one day, one day we're going to see it. One day we're going to experience that. It's going to be made known. What was invisible is going to be made visible. And that, as Paul has said before in this book, it's, it's the hope that's laid up for us. That's the hope of the gospel. And we should have that always in mind as we're in this in-between. As we're in this in-between, make Christ your life now. Connect everything with Him. Every situation, every relationship, every interaction, every part of your life should be connected to this truth of who you are in Jesus Christ, that you are in Him. It will change everything if we connect it to everything. But we're hesitant to do that. Because as it says here, don't set your mind on things that are on earth. It is hard to set my mind on things that I can't see, on things that are invisible, on that seed that's in the cup, when I've got all this around me competing for my, competing for my attention, competing for my, my focus. And he says, no, 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 don't focus on these things around you here on earth. Focus, keep this in mind, keep this perspective. And in order to do this, to figure out well, what are those things in my life? What are the things that I've made my life that are not the gospel? We need to think through and ask ourselves a few questions. And I want you to consider in your week this week, in your morning this morning, what is it that has caused you to feel hopeless, to feel overwhelmingly angry? What is it that's caused you to just be paralyzed by fear? As you've gone through your week, has there been anything that's caused you to be overwhelmingly angry, paralyzed by fear, or just, I'm despondent, I'm hopeless? It can be good things. Some weeks, my sermon, preparing it, it leads me to anxiety, it leads me to fear, it leads me to frustration and anger in my house. For many of us this week, as I sat and we had our meeting about La Luz, those of you that were here, as Josh said, this is a big deal. This is a big thing we're trying to pull off here. And I noticed and I recognize that many of us, like we were in this different place where we just kind of seem we're focused and a little bit anxious and about we're going to have this dinner with 80 plus people and we're going to sit and we're going to talk in front of them and we're going to, they're going to support us and encourage us and give us money and we're going to partner with the park and we're partnering with FCA and there's all these relationships, all these places where things could go wrong and we could bomb and we could fall on our flat on our faces and what's that going to look like for me? And we're all a part of this and people are participating and people are serving and they're going to be carrying trays that have never carried a tray in their life and putting down coffee that's hot that could spill in someone's lap all these things could go wrong and does that let us this week even to be in this place of fear or this place of hopelessness we're not going to get this done it's, it's not going to happen nobody's going to come and when we experience that I think we have one of two responses first we feel that we feel that hopelessness we feel that fear we feel that anger 
And you might say, ha, I have sinned. This is my fault. I have messed up. I have screwed up. I should have done something different. I need to think through this. I need to figure out what can I do next time to do this different so that I don't feel the same way. I don't want to screw up. I'm tired of messing up. I'm going to change what I'm doing. Somebody tell me how to do this different so I never do it again. And then the second way is to say, well, this isn't my fault. This is not that I've sinned. This is that someone has sinned against me. All right, this is, well, you know, you responded this way to me and therefore I blew up on you. Or, you know what, this was the environment and I hadn't slept, I hadn't ate, and so this is how I responded. Or this is why I was hopeless. It's because of the situation or it's because of the environment. And I needed help and no one was there to help me. My needs aren't being met in this situation. And so I'm going to understand this situation and I'm going to get out of this situation and I'm never going to enter back into this situation because... You're not caring for me the way that I need to be cared. My needs are not being met. Which way do you guys respond when you're hopeless, when you're fearful, when you're anger, angry? Is it all about you or is it all about everybody else or is it this mix in between? Because I think as I talk through that, some of those things can be true. All right? It's partially, each of those responses, there's probably some partial truth to that. There's probably where I have participated in this, where I have sinned, and also where I have been sinned against. It's both. All right? It's never very clear because we're always a participant in it. But I think that there's a deeper heart issue that we've got to think through. Because what happens, the reason you feel that way is because something else other than the gospel has become your life. And it has been damaged, it has been poked at, it has been messed with, it has been destroyed. Whether it's a person, whether it's a relationship, whether it's your pride. Something else that you are holding on to and that you have joined your life with and you've been all about. And now someone has come in and they have beat it up. And they've made me feel terrible about it. Or I feel terrible about what I've done to it. And so our lives, when we connect it, when we focus it on anything else than the gospel, on anything else than Jesus Christ... This is what it looks like. I'm going back to the balloon. These are those things. It's delicate. It's fragile. If you let go of it, it might fly away. Someone can come. They can pop it and destroy it. We can never blow it back up again. It requires constant attention. It's going to leak air. I've got to focus on it. I've got to go back to it. I gotta blow it up again and it starts to leak air again. I gotta go back to it again. You sinned against me, I sinned. I gotta take care of this balloon. This is my focus. This is all that I'm thinking about and I'm connecting everything in my life to this balloon, to this one thing that's become so important that I've connected my life with. Wait just a minute. I gotta go back to it again and again and again and again. I've gotta care for this thing. It's so delicate, it's so fragile, it's so irritable. And that's what it looks like when we connect ourselves our lives with anything else but Jesus Christ because they change they are going to they're going to they're going to they're going to leave us they're going to, they're going to fall apart they're going to lose their air but Jesus Christ does not change the gospel will not change the truth of who Jesus is the truth of who he or we are in him now that he has brought us there and he has raised us up with him and he has seated us next to him That is not going to change. And if that's where our hope is, if that's what we're focused on, if that's what we're connecting everything else to, nothing else will have that same impact on me. Sure, I'm going to be disappointed at times. I'm going to be fearful at times. But it's not going to lead me to despondency. It's not going to lead me, oh, it's broken me. No, I have got Jesus Christ. And this is my place. And that's the reality. And so we have to go to those things. 
that we have started to depend on that are not Jesus Christ, they can be good things. They can be great things in our lives, but they're not Jesus Christ. And we have to go to them, and we have to identify them, and we have to say, you are not my life. You are not my life. Jesus Christ is my life. And you have to say, you are not the most important thing in my life. Jesus Christ is the most important thing in my life. And we have to go to those things that you will not, you will not, you will not meet my every need. Jesus Christ will meet my every need. You may be good, you may be beneficial, but Jesus Christ is my life and I am in Him and that changes everything. We would let go of those other things. We would be humble, we would be confident, we would be God-focused and other-focused, loving each other, loving God, if we just went back to and considered and thought about and sought the gospel and, and, and connected our lives with the gospel over and over and over again, it would change everything. It would change our perspective. We would truly be gospel-driven. That's my prayer. That's my heart. That God would actually make us gospel-driven. We'd focus on it and it would be connected to everything, everything that we do. And we can do that now because we know our ultimate goal is the gospel later. Our ultimate goal, the ultimate consummation, the ultimate completion is the gospel later. That's the hope that's laid up for heaven and us. And it will change everything right now. If you look at verse 4, it says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. We have died with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. And one day we will be with Him in glory. That's the truth. That's what needs to motivate us. That needs to be our perspective. That our life is hidden with Him. Our eternal life is hidden with Him. But when He is made visible, when He returns, when He comes back, when the King comes back to complete and to consummate His kingdom, when He is made visible, then my life with Him, I won't have to think about it. I won't have to remember it. I won't have to process through and think about it. I will be fully experiencing it then. It will be made visible. When He's made visible, it will be made visible. And so I can live my life now with that perspective in the future. And that would change everything. We can't lose sight of the gospel. We have to realize, and I heard this said before, and I think it's a great statement, that we are not physical beings having a spiritual experience. That we are these spiritual beings that right now are having this interim, in-between physical experience. And we need to realize the, the brevity of that. And that the future, that the eternity is with Christ, is in heaven, is waiting for us. And that this is short. This is just a moment. And that in this moment, though, we would live in the moment. We would live in the now. That we would love God and that we would love others. And yet we would be motivated by this hope that is laid up for me. It changes everything about my life. That's how we have to live. With power and with freedom. With power and with freedom that Paul talked about. Knowing that ultimately eternally will be with him. So again, I've just begged the Lord this week that we be gospel driven. 
if we say that, as we talk about our values, that we're gospel-driven. And because we're gospel-driven, we, we, we're, we're neighbor-focused and we're a church-centered, that this is how it projects itself, this is how it lives out. But, but we're gospel-driven. And that we truly, truly, truly would learn to be gospel-driven. That we would think about the gospel over and over and over. That we would stop, that we would stop everything in our lives, and we would go and spend time with the Lord, and that we would consider these truths about who we are, where we are, what He's done for us. And that we would connect everything in our life with that truth. And it would change us. It would transform us. It would transform this church. It would transform this neighborhood if we were truly gospel-driven.